You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. And for the rest of us, let me invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 12. So this is your first Sunday with us. Uh, We are currently going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. We started last week, and today we find ourselves in verse 12 through 18. So let me invite you to turn there and read with us. Let me read it for us. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known through, um, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we come before you as your people gathered for worship on this Sunday morning, Lord, that by your word, Father, that your spirit would speak to us, or that you would give us understanding of the scripture from Philippians, and Lord, that by your spirit, not only would we have understanding, but that you would empower us for obedience to this text. Father, we pray that above all, that Christ would be magnified and exalted as we worship today. And Father, that we would all look to him and believe in Christ and trust him today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the Christian life is in no way easy, despite what people might try to tell you. Oftentimes, following Christ will actually bring adversity into your life. And it's often a shocking wake-up call, for, particularly for new Christians or younger Christians, whenever they discover this truth. Because a lot of times they think, all right, well, if I follow Jesus, my life is going to be easier. My problems are going to go away. Things are going to be smooth. I'll have my best life now in Jesus. And it's often a shock whenever new Christians realize that the Christian life can be difficult. And sometimes the Christian life actually brings difficulty into your life that you wouldn't have otherwise. And sadly, the the scorching heat of adversity often shrivels many young and growing souls. And sadly, many of those who profess Jesus will wither and die under the heat. And for those who abandon the faith, their superficial faith was, was marked in large part about what God could do for them. You know, they wanted salvation, but they didn't really want God. They wanted the the creaturely comforts more than God himself. And a lot of times they just kind of said, if I follow God, he's going to give me what I want. He'll, He'll give me my materialistic means that I desire. And for them, and for a lot of those Christians who profess Christians who fall away from the faith, 
For them, God was simply a tool to help them worship their true idol, which was themselves. So such faith like this that, that, that frails and falls apart and leaves in adversity, it's really no faith at all. It's a phony faith, a hypocritical faith, and it's a faith that will not and cannot persevere. And it's the kind of superficial faith that is not saving. So this, this is an important question then. I think this is a question this text really helps us really think about this morning. And the question is, how do we as Christians, those who truly have faith in Christ, how do we as Christians proclaim Christ with persistent joy no matter our circumstances, even if things get hard? How can you and I, how can we Stay committed to Christ and proclaim Christ with persistent joy no matter our circumstances. And I think that question is one that this text answers very clearly for us. The book of Philippians is perhaps one of Paul's most joyous letters. He's just filled with such joy as he writes. And his joy is, is almost captivating. It's winsome. It's contagious. And particularly contagious when you realize the circumstances in which Paul is writing this letter. Because as we see quite clearly in this text, right, that Paul is in chains as he's writing this letter. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, despite his circumstances, he is filled with such joy and contentment. And he expresses that to the church of Philippi to whom he is writing. So in Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18, this text before us, we see Paul update the Philippian church on his imprisonment, and he shares with them how God is actually using his chains to advance the gospel. Amazing. And as the gospel is going forth, Paul rejoices even though he is in chains. So this passage has a great deal to teach us this morning. So here's the sermon in a sentence, a sermon summary. If you want to jot this down, here's what I think this text is showing us this morning, is that through every circumstance and every criticism, proclaim Christ as your only joy. Through every circumstance, through every criticism, proclaim Christ as your only, only joy. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit as we begin working through the text. So the first I want to highlight to you, proclaim Christ in every circumstance. Every circumstance. We see this particularly in verse 12 through 14 of the, text, uh, of the passage before us. So as Paul finishes up his prayer for the church that we looked at last week, particularly ending in verse 11, he then begins to give an update on his status. And so he, he tells the church that he's in chains, but he sees his imprisonment as actually an opportunity to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul was a missionary. He was a church planter, and he traveled the Roman world sharing the gospel and starting new churches. This was his life's work after he became a Christian. And as Paul is writing this, he is most likely in prison at Rome, having been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. But nevertheless, even though Paul is in prison, the gospel is still going forward. The gospel is still being preached, being proclaimed by Paul. 
So Paul is writing here to, to almost alleviate the concern of the church of Philippi. Remember, Paul started the church at Philippi. They cared for him. They loved him. They had been financially supporting him in his missions effort. And obviously, they're concerned for him, particularly as they get report that Paul is in jail. But Paul says, don't worry, church. Don't worry about me. Don't be concerned about my circumstances. But he instructs them on God's sovereignty in his life. That no matter his sufferings, no matter his circumstances, the the gospel is not bound. Paul might be in prison, but the gospel is not. Even in prison, the gospel is actually going forward. Because Paul says, this is amazing, he says that the imprisonment that he's experiencing has not impeded the advancement of the gospel at all. If anything, it's just the opposite. That through his prison imprisonment, the gospel is advancing further because he's in prison. Amazing, right? Paul sees his imprisonment almost as a gift from God to see the gospel go forward in ways that it would not have without it. And so Paul recounts how the gospel is advancing because of his chains. And he highlights two ways it's advancing in the text, right? First, he says that the gospel is going forth to the imperial guard. Look at verse 13, right? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. One of the benefits of being in prison is you have a captive congregation, right? If I chained the doors and locked them so you wouldn't leave, you would be forced to sit in here and listen to preaching all day long. Some of you would rejoice in that. Some of you might groan a little bit, but we won't, we won't decide who you are. But, but again, Paul's in prison. These guards have to be there. It's their job, right? They're, they have to watch over Paul. And Paul says, this is great. I've got people here who can't leave and they have to listen to me preach. And so Paul starts preaching the gospel. And he preaches the gospel and the gospel starts to advance, not just through the imperial guard, to all the rest. They're hearing about Christ. So it's, the gospel's advancing in the prison cell, in the jail, so to speak. But it's also advancing in another way through the church in Rome. He says that the church has become emboldened by his imprisonment. You see, the Romans captured Paul. They threw him in jail for preaching the gospel in order to curtail the Christian church from advancing in the city. They're like, all right, if we can get Paul, if we can lock him up in jail, then everybody else will, will keep their mouths shut about this whole Jesus thing. But Paul says actually just the opposite has happened, that his persecution has actually intensified the evangelistic efforts of the church. So being being spurred on by Paul's example, Paul says that they have even less fear of proclaiming Christ. They're provoked by Paul's example to be even more bold in their gospel witness in the city. So they're following in Paul's example in his fearlessness. So Paul says, don't worry about my imprisonment. It's not a big deal. God's using it. In fact, this was his will for me so that through it, the gospel would advance in ways that it wouldn't have without it. And here we learn a very important truth, a truth that every Christian needs to know, that every Christian needs to learn, is that God directs our lives according to his sovereign will. God directs your life, my life, everyone's life according to his sovereign will. Every blessing and every adversity in your life is placed by God into your life. That he expects you through every circumstance, right, to proclaim Christ in every opportunity, even if you're in a Roman jail cell. 
You're there to proclaim Christ. So, so Paul exhibits this incredible, confident trust in God's will for him. That yes, he's in prison, but God is sovereign and he is good. And God has brought this opportunity into his life to advance the gospel even further. All throughout the Bible, we get this lesson that God is sovereign over every aspect of our lives. Let me share with you a few scripture references in, in case you doubt me, right? So Isaiah 46, verse 10, the Lord says, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head, or the lack thereof, right, are all, are all numbered. James 4, 13 through 15. Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And then, of course, Job 121. Job responds after his sufferings. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we must grasp God's complete and total sovereignty over our lives. He directs our steps. He's directing yours. He's directing mine. He directed Paul's. That every blessing and every suffering is allotted by God to accomplish his good purpose for his own glory. Every disease and every healing, every job loss and every promotion, every birth and every death comes from a good God who is providentially active and working to accomplish his will in the world. Now for many, this biblical teaching of God's sovereignty can make them a little uneasy can make them a little uncomfortable. After all, we like to be in control. A lot of us build our whole lives around this illusion of control. And God's sovereignty in the scripture, this biblical teaching reminds us of just how little control we actually have in our lives. But for the Apostle Paul, this is the amazing thing. For the Apostle Paul, the doctrine of God's sovereignty in every circumstance, even in his imprisonment, it doesn't make him uneasy at all. In fact, it makes him glad. It makes him glad. Because Paul takes comfort in knowing that his chains were put there by the will of God, knowing that he is imprisoned for the will of God. And because he understands that his imprisonment is for God and from God, he sees his circumstances as a gift from God, as an opportunity to proclaim Christ in them and through them. Brothers and sisters, may the doctrine of God's sovereignty be a sweet doctrine to your soul. May you find comfort in this truth, particularly when hardships come into your life. May God's sovereignty provide you with abiding comfort when life just doesn't seem to make sense. May you find comfort in knowing that life is not chaotic. It's not random. It's not meaningless, but rather it is purposeful, intentional, meaningful. Your circumstances God has ordained. And in them, your mission is to proclaim. That's what God has chosen for us and for you. 
God's purpose for you is to seize every opportunity in your life. And he has given it to you as an opportunity to make much of Christ in them. Every circumstance in your life, God has placed you there for his mission. God is not only glorified when we praise him when times are good, but he is especially made glorious when we proclaim him in times of trouble. A platform of suffering provides you a public pulpit to proclaim Christ to a perplexed people. So what do I mean by that? When, when you proclaim Christ in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of those painful circumstances, the, the watching world is confounded. They don't get it. They don't understand. And their ears almost perk up a little bit and they, to hear about this Christ that would give you joy even in the face of such unspeakable tragedy. So let us proclaim Christ no matter our circumstances. Every moment of your life is an opportunity to showcase the sufficiency of Christ in your life and to show the world that Christ is your heart's treasure. It's an opportunity to do just that. So proclaim Christ in your joblessness, showing the world that your hope and joy is not found in your career or in your income. Share with the world that you are dependent upon Christ to provide for your every need and that you will cling to him in every season of your life. Proclaim Christ when your marriage is a wreck. Showing the world that your hope and your joy is not found in your spouse and that even though your marriage is one of constant tension with your spouse, in which your selfishness and sin continues to put a strain on your marriage, rely on Christ even then, when times are hard, knowing that he, God, will provide strength to love and grace to forgive so that your marriage might one day be restored by his power. Proclaim Christ when the diagnosis comes, when the doctor's quivering voice gives you the grim results of your tests. And in your suffering, then fling yourself upon Christ. And despite the bitter providence of the diagnosis, may you continue to proclaim the goodness and grace of God towards you, even in the midst of your disease. I'm not sure what your circumstances are right now or where you are in your life, but take heart in the truths of this passage this morning that no matter your affliction, may you look to Christ. And may you look for ways to exalt Christ even in the midst of your suffering. Proclaim Christ in your adversity, knowing that this lot in life has not come by random chance, but by the providential will of God. And that this incredible challenge has been given to you to make much of Christ in it and through it. So that's the first thing we see in this text this morning. Proclaim Christ in every circumstance. But we also see another truth we must grab a hold of this morning, is we must proclaim Christ through every criticism. Through every criticism. We see this in verse 15 through 17. So Paul uses his imprisonment as a gift of God. 
He sees it as an opportunity to further advance the gospel. And, and by the grace of God, God does just that. The gospel advances. Because of Paul's chains, the gospel is going further. And so Paul's imprisonment has provoked the church of Rome to be more intense, more aggressive, more intentional about sharing the gospel with people in the city. However, we learn from the text that some of these brothers didn't have the best motives as they were preaching the gospel. We see that there is some in this group who preached Christ out of love for Paul, out of support for him and for his ministries, and others seem to see this as an opportunity to pounce on the leadership vacancy that Paul has left behind. Thus, they began directly attacking Paul in the process, thinking perhaps that his his imprisonment was a judgment against God for his ministry. And so Paul breaks, the, breaks down the contrast between these two groups of people who are preaching Christ in the city. He says one group is, is envious, preaching Christ out of rivalry. The other preaches Christ from goodwill. So one group preaches Christ from selfish ambition. The other group preaches Christ out of love for Paul. One group believes Paul's imprisonment is God's judgment. The other believes that Paul has been put in prison for the defense of the gospel. You know, it's tough to reconstruct exactly who these opponents really were. They seem to be different opponents than the ones that Paul will identify in Philippians chapter 3, when he calls them dogs later on in, in chapter 3. These, this seems to be a different group. Rather, the opponents here at the end of chapter 1 seem to be those who are Orthodox Christians but who just disliked and didn't support Paul in his ministry. So Paul indicates that they seem to be preaching the same Christ, they're preaching the same gospel, even though they have two very different motives as they're preaching the gospel. One group is supportive of Paul in his ministry. One group is critical of Paul and dislikes Paul and, and criticizes his ministry. So perhaps this group mistakenly thought that, again, Paul was in prison, but he was suffering because God was judging him, casting him aside, thinking his suffering was self-inflicted. Perhaps this group, again, just sees that leadership vacancy. All right, now that Paul's gone, now we can really step up and get some influence and authority in the church. Who knows? We're not entirely sure. But we do know that, that Paul endured malicious criticism even from those within the church, from within the church. And sadly, our most vicious critics tend to be other Christians. Isn't it sad the way that works out most of the time? There will always be those who, who watch, standing on the sidelines, who will want to critique and chastise the players out in the field, right? College football started up yesterday. You know how that, that feels, right? There are far too many Christians who, who sit in their armchair to critique and insult and share their opinion, but who don't do any ministry for themselves. They post hateful blogs, but they've never counseled the broken. They share memes on Facebook, but they've never had to feed God's word to a hungry flock. They rip apart another pastor and critique, but they themselves don't lead or take initiative in any meaningful way in the church. So, of course, church leaders should be held accountable. They should be. They must be. But what needs to be rejected is this overly critical, self-righteous judgmentalism that tends to create a mob mentality, which culminates in a hate-filled public lynching. Happens all the time. 
whether it's on the internet or in a local church. So in our lives, we should curtail as much as possible this sort of self-righteous criticism in our hearts. And whenever possible, we should seek to assume the best of the intentions of other Christians. We should be as charitable as possible in assessing their motives. However, you don't have to be in ministry very long, whether as a pastor or as a volunteer in the church, to know that criticism will come often from other Christians. And at times, that criticism can be quite vicious. Leaders in the church must be able to endure long suffering. We must be able to endure the nibbling of naughty sheep who don't realize that we intend to do them good, not harm. An elder without thick skin will not be an elder for very long. Such is the reality of living in this fallen world with rebellious, stiff-necked sinners, even redeemed ones. But nevertheless, Paul continues to proclaim Christ, doesn't he? He continues to proclaim Christ, even though he's receiving this unfair criticism that's being spread about him, even though his opponents are beginning to, to drag his name in the dirt while he's, he's in prison. He can't do anything to, to publicly defend himself. But he's not cynical about it. He's not even angry about it. But rather, he is unfazed by their criticism. And he rejoices that the gospel is advancing even through his critics. And what an attitude this is. How, how can we develop this attitude in our lives? How can we do it? How can we proclaim Christ with joy, even though we are viciously under attack by others? And Paul's secret to contentment and joy is one of the big themes, is one of the key lessons of this letter. Because Paul possesses this, this jubilant joy in every circumstance because his identity is found in Christ. It's found in Christ, in Christ alone. For Paul to live is Christ, to die is gain. For Paul, he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. For Paul, he counts all things as rubbish in order that he might gain Christ. So Paul has been so captivated by the beauty of God in Christ Jesus that, that what happens to him in his life is of relative unimportance. His soul's desire, his soul's purpose is to glorify God by proclaiming Christ. And it is his passion for Christ that his critics cannot touch and the imperial guards cannot squelch. You see, when your identity is found exclusively and only in Christ, then your critics lose all power over you. Their words begin to bounce off of you. No one can truly hurt those who love God, for their lives are hid with God in Christ Jesus. What can mortal flesh do to them? Why fear those who can kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul? That if I want to be a workman approved by God, and I pray that's your desire as well. If I want to be found faithful, if I want to be a workman approved by God, then the attacks of others bear no weight on me. That if I treasure the glory of God, and if I treasure the glory of God in the advancement of the gospel more than anything else, then what's the big deal if people criticize me for it? When Christ is my heart's treasure, I will not be paralyzed by criticism. Instead, I'll continue through the criticism to proclaim Christ with joy, no matter what other people say, I will continue to point people to the all-surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
Now, like any pastor, I've, I've had my share of criticism from other believers in ministry. Some of it fair, some of it unfair, some of it from people who love me, others from people who despise me. And that's always one of the most difficult things, the hardest lessons for me to learn in ministry is that there are just some people who hate me without knowing me, who assume, assume the worst about me, and who even invent malicious motives behind my actions, actions which I'm intending for the good of the church. Those seasons of criticism come for all of us, but it comes for pastors a little more frequently than most, perhaps. But in such seasons of intense criticism, Every Sunday provided a new opportunity for me to keep proclaiming Christ with joy. Though criticism wounds, it, it forced me, by God's grace, as a gift, it forced me to further root my identity in Christ with joy. Through every rejection, through every betrayal, through every attack, I had to keep on loving my enemies. I had to keep on proclaiming Christ with joy because he is my joy. He's the treasure of my heart. And of course, by no means have I been perfect at doing this. You can ask my wife. I've thrown more than a few pity parties in my ministry career so far. But nevertheless, we must proclaim Christ with joy at all times, even in seasons of incredible criticism from others. You see, there will be times in your Christian life where being faithful to Jesus will earn you the ire of others, even from other Christians. But nevertheless, you and I, we must respond with love, with grace, with patience. Because after all, isn't that what Christ has done for you? Isn't that what he's done for me? How graciously long-suffering has Christ been for us We've mocked him, we've rejected him, we've abused him in our sin, we've spurned him repeatedly over and over again for the things of earth. We've failed to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. But nevertheless, Christ pursues us. He seeks us. He loves us. He's patient with us, even in our rebellion. That Christ is merciful to us and eager to show forgiveness to us even when we've wronged him. Above all, Christ has shown love to his enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us not only to root our identity in Jesus alone, but it also empowers us by Christ to endure our criticism with joy. The gospel models for us how we are to love our enemies. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount? This is what he said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So if you have those in your life who are proclaiming Christ from envy, from rivalry, from selfish ambition, then love them as Christ has loved you. But not only that, not only just love your enemies, but rejoice that even through their corrupted motives that the gospel advances. And that leads us to the third truth I want to highlight for us is proclaim Christ as your only, only joy. Proclaim Christ as your only, go only joy. I mean, Paul's response to this criticism is pretty, again, it's astonishing. 
rather than rebuke them and say, all right, these guys need to go back home. They need to keep their mouths shut. They need to stop spreading this, this trash gossip around about me in the city of Rome. I'm in prison. I'm here for Jesus, right? And these people are trying to, to coup and take over and tear me down. That's not what Paul does at all, is it? Rather than rebuke them or lash out in anger or try to defend himself, Paul responds with a simple, who cares? <laughs> Isn't that what he says? Look at what the text says in verse 18. What then? Who cares? So what that they're doing this? Through these opponents, the gospel is advancing, Paul says. After all, this is Paul's chief aim. This is why he's living. This is his purpose in life is to see the glory of Christ spread through every heart across the world. So as long as the gospel is going further, who cares if he's being criticized in the process? This is why Paul can look at every circumstance. And that's why he can endure every circumstance with joy. is because his joy is found in Jesus alone. As Christians, we are to have Jesus as our heart's treasure. We should long to see the gospel advance. That should be your desire as well. And that alone should be bringing us joy in our life. We must long to see the reign of Christ spread through every heart across the world because the Christian is captivated by the love of God. We delight in seeing God's love advance. So though I'm sure Paul didn't appreciate these preachers who are tearing him down, he says ultimately he's unfazed by it. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that... And that I rejoice. You see, when your ultimate satisfaction is in Christ Jesus, when he is your heart's desire, everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. As long as Christ, who is primary, is going forth, as long as he's being shared, as long as he's being proclaimed, as long as he's being made known, as long as the gospel's advancing, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to find joy in Christ. You see, this is the secret to enduring every circumstance and every criticism with joy. You must make Christ your only joy. Not a joy, not one of your joys, your only joy. Make him the treasure of your heart. Make him your, your chief desire. May your only desire be to know him and to make him known, to savor his goodness, to behold his glory. And when your life is taken up in Christ Jesus, your circumstances won't, won't concern you. What others say won't concern you, but your only concern will be how can I glorify my Christ right now? How can he, how can Jesus be honored in my body, whether by life or by death? How can I show others in this moment the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus right now? That's the question a Christian asks. It's the question you and I ought to be asking. So examine your heart this morning. May we all do this. Is Christ your only joy? This is your only joy. Because if you are in Christ, he ought to be. He ought to be your only joy, your only treasure. But as we all know, even as Christians, our hearts often remain entangled by worldly comforts and desires, don't they? That the pool of, of sin in our hearts begins to, to pull our gaze off of Christ onto this world for lesser things to satisfy us. See, the Christian life is a fight for love. A constant war against our flesh, reminding ourselves to look to Christ and Christ alone for satisfaction. 
So let me ask you some, some rather piercing questions and answer these questions honestly. Let the Holy Spirit do his work to probe your heart so that you can answer them honestly. Is Christ your only joy? Is he the one who captivates your heart? Is he the one to which you channel all the loves of your heart? Are your frustrations and your circumstances a reflection of an unbelieving heart? Are you not trusting God with where you are in life right now? Do you not believe he has a purpose in it? Do you not believe that he has called you to proclaim Christ in that circumstance? Is your anger towards your critics an indicator that you're treasuring the opinions of others rather than the opinion of God? Are you being so caught up with fear of men that you no longer fear God? You see, church, may we proclaim Christ with our lives. No matter our circumstances that we find ourselves in, whether we're in a season of, of prosperity or pain, of success or grief, comfort or turmoil, God has placed every circumstance in your life to give you a unique opportunity to proclaim Christ. Don't squander it. Don't waste it. Don't miss this opportunity the Lord has sovereignly placed into your hands. Use it for the gospel. Use it for mission. Use it to proclaim Christ. And when critics speak up against you, remain humble, remain loving, remain gracious, endure that criticism with joy. Continue to proclaim Christ in it and through it. Rejoice in the Lord that even through your critics, the gospel can still advance. Have your identity so rooted, so grounded in Christ that you can rejoice in and through every criticism. Church, may Jesus be so lovely to us that we will exalt him and proclaim him at all times. And may the Lord continue to deepen our love for him day by day so that in every circumstance and through every criticism, we would joyfully proclaim Christ. Let's pray together.